Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast. I'm Stan Guthrie. With us, as always, is John Wilson, who's the editor of Books and Culture. And this podcast, John, will be looking at the May-June issue. It's hard to believe it's already around the corner, but here we are. Yes, Dan. First, I want to say it's really good to be back in the studio with you. Our schedules have been such that we haven't been able to meet for a while, and I always miss our conversation, so it's great to be back here with you. Thank you. Same here. This issue has a cover that shows a funeral in Africa, and there are two pieces in the issue that are related to funerals and death. There's a piece by Virginia Stem Owens called uh, Dust or Ashes, and that one is partly about funeral practices in America today. She also mentions that at the start of the article, how on her birthday, not too long ago, she wanted to visit the National Museum of Funeral History, which is in <laughs> Houston, and how her family thought that was odd. <laughs> and, and Did she tell him she was working on an article for you? <laughs> she describes that museum. She talks about some of the changes in Christian practices, how more people are moving to cremation now. Hmm. So on the one hand, it's partly about, you might say, funerals in America and how we think of death. And then obviously, there's an element of it that is universal, that's not just about this particular time and place, and specifically how we as Christians think about it. It's a classic Virginia Stemmons piece. It's very down-to-earth. It has a sardonic wit, but also a great deal of depth of feeling. So that piece goes with a piece by Bernice Martin called Saturday is for Funerals. And she surveys several books that have to do with funerals in Africa and more generally engagements with death. And so the first one that she considers is a collection of essays by many different writers that look at funeral practices in many different areas in Africa among many different groups. The other three books are all centered in Botswana. One aspect of all those books is the impact of AIDS and the very large number of deaths of people who were much younger than would normally be having a funeral and how people reacted to that, how the church responded to that from different angles. So those two pieces, I think, complement each other beautifully. What can we learn from African approaches to death, and what can they learn from us? I don't really feel equipped to say what Africans might learn from us in this respect. I think one of the things that we can learn from them, even just in reading this piece, is a reflection on something that many other people have pointed out. It's not an absolutely new insight, but it's something that at least came to me with force as I was reading Bernice mm. Martin's piece. And that is that you and I have talked before, and for instance, in connection with Michael Crichton's State of Fear, mm -hmm. about a certain contradiction that's very deep in contemporary American society. And that is that on the one hand, we are better off as a society. There are people who are struggling terribly sure. and you know, people who have childhood diseases that are ravaging and on and on and on. Nevertheless, as a society, 
we are more prosperous, better cared for, have better life expectation, and so on and so on, than people anywhere in the past in the history of the world. And on the other hand, we're obsessed with risk and bad things that are about to happen to us or did happen to someone, and since they happened to someone, you know, we, we better sound the alarm. And again, some of those concerns are very legitimate, and yet there's something radically askew about those two those yeah. two realities. And it sometimes takes the form of an obsession with thinking that we can control everything and plan everything. And if we just control this and if we just plan that, we can avert the common fate of humanity. Right. And, and obviously we can't do that. And again, that can go off the rails. It doesn't mean you should just recklessly ignore the possibilities that you have to take prudent measures and so on. But reading about the experiences that Bernice Martin describes in her very fine piece reminds you that even though there are tremendous differences between the situations of these people living in Botswana and people living in Wheaton, Illinois, there are all kinds of differences. At the most basic level, our common humanity, our vulnerability is the same. Mm-hmm. and our need for God, in whom we can place our trust, who remains constant amid all of these risks and changes and inevitable death, whether we die, sadly, much before our time, or whether we die like a lot of the people my daughter helps take care of, who are in their late 90s and are in a home. They all suffer some impairment of their wits whether we die in that circumstance or in a war or whatever it is, we're all going to die. <laughs> there are some home truths in that way that, again, do we have to go to Africa to learn those? Not necessarily, but if we're open, can we be very forcefully <laughs> reminded of them? Yes. And that's one of the good things about books and cultures. You don't have to travel to Africa to learn some of those lessons. You can do it right from the <laughs> magazine. I should also say, and I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking about a previous issue, perhaps, that this issue has three pieces. Besides Bernice Martin's piece on Africa, there's a piece by her husband, David Martin, the eminent sociologist, on a book called The Passing of Protestant England. And his piece, by the way, I paired with a piece by a young woman named Anna Sutherland, and she's writing her first piece for us. She's a Catholic, and she's reviewing a book called Young Catholic America that's in that series that Chris Smith and other scholars have done, studying cohorts of young people as they advance through young adulthood. Hmm. Reading those two pieces together, whatever you do when you, whether you drink a glass of buttermilk or you have a shot of whiskey or you, you, go, out, you go out for a jog, whatever you do when you've, when you've gotten some some tough news, reading those two pieces together is hard because the picture they give of, on the one hand, the state of the church in England, and on the other hand, young Catholics in the United States, they're not without some glimmers of light, but they're not cheery reports either. There's a superb review by John Stackhouse of a memoir by David Martin, an absolutely wonderful book called The Education of David Martin. So in a way, this is our Martin issue of, uh, of books and culture. I just want to throw in one other little detail, okay. which no one will really care about, but I care about, <laughs> and that is that the very first issue 
that Jennifer McGuire, who's been our art director ever since the very first issue that she designed of Books and Culture, and that was around, oh, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in that area, had a cover story by David Martin with a very ingenious cover that she did. And so as I was working on that issue, I was reminded, because of course, as I've told you many times, I feel very blessed to have worked with Jennifer all this time, and it took me back to that the very first issue that we worked on together. Well, tell me about Philip Jenkins and what he did for you, this issue. Philip Jenkins has discovered what he believes is a new source for the so-called secret gospel of Mark, which caused a big stir when a scholar announced it several decades ago. And I don't want to give this away because we don't have much breaking news in books and culture, but I'll only say... Be sure to read this article because, as Philip Jenkins always is, it's very witty. It's a fascinating case of what appears to be a literary forgery. I'll say no more. Okay, one last thing. Brett Foster on Connor McPherson. Yes, Connor McPherson. Brett is much more deeply acquainted with contemporary theater than I am, but for my money, Connor McPherson is one of the most interesting playwrights anywhere, probably best known for his play The Seafarer, which is, I think, certainly one of the most interesting plays of our time. This is a really big retrospective piece that looks at the whole arc of his career and also looks at the, I would call it the spiritual dimension of his work. Thanks very much, John. Thanks, Dan.